Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, our contributing editor, Michael Heiss, joins us from his home in Los Angeles to talk about his experience at last month's Consumer Electronics Show, including the biggest trends, biggest surprises, and the most overhyped and most under-the-radar introductions. Like I said last year at this time, we especially appreciate Michael's reports from Las Vegas. He was there, so you and I didn't have to be. I took one for the team. That's right. Absolutely. Although he didn't leave since the unscathed, stupid COVID, yep. there's still no one better suited to provide the custom integration perspective on a massively broad event like CES than my fellow CDA fellow, who is also a CDA Lifetime Achievement Award recipient and one of the foremost experts on consumer and broadcast video technology. Michael Heiss, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jeremy. Always a pleasure to uh, talk to you about CES, one of my favorite shows. Well, we're, we're recording this on February 13th, which is uh, a couple of days after the Super Bowl. I don't think you're a big football fan, but I'm assuming that you're a huge Taylor Swift and Usher fan. Oh, so, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any issues with the halftime show sound mix? Because mm -hmm. I didn't. You know, I was watching it. I'm a video guy. I was watching it more than listening to it. Okay. And I'm not a surround. As long as you can hear it and hear the lyrics, that's good enough. I mean, I'm not that much into the music, but it was really good. I mean, it was it put yeah. on a good show. I and enjoyed the, video the show. Was good. Yeah, I enjoyed the show. I thought visually and and uh, I guess audio wise, it was very good. And I was kind of confused, and I'm wondering if. People's TV sometimes just don't jibe with uh, the broadcast. I don't. I don't get it sometimes. If it's like people with really, you know, low grade uh, sound bars or something that it's just getting too uh, down mixed, you know, to the point where they're just not hearing uh, the depth. There, you know, I've got a good setup. It's not a surround setup. It's just a really good uh, speaker uh, setup with some ceiling speakers that help, you know, augment. But uh, well, the the reality is that you know the vast you know readers of Res tech aside, the majority of the public really doesn't have big surround systems or anything other than this two speakers or, you know, the speaker systems built into the TV. Um, the video was good. And the thing that I was uh, most curious about, just as a data point, because I do, as you mentioned, cover the uh, broadcast side of things a bit, CBS had 165 cameras at the yes. Super Bowl. And the thing that everybody was laughing about are what they call the doink cameras. And they yeah. put cameras and microphones in the uprights, and one of the they hit the uprights once, and one of the uh, commentators said, Oh, we got our money's worth out of the doink cam. <laughs> yeah, you heard the doink immediately. You heard was, the doink. Sort of Somebody put a lot of work into that. Yeah, it, here's the thing. I saw one time a, uh, a a first down where they had a camera in this in the first down marker, and they they got it their money's worth out of that one. Otherwise, it looked like a normal broadcast to me. I'm like, where did all the cameras go? I, I didn't it, see. If it looked like a normal broadcast, then they did their job. But yeah. even when I was watching the game, my wife said, "Why are there drones on the field?" And there were a couple of times when the sky cams, the wired cams flew into it but it, mm -hmm. there's actually a connection between ces 
just to give uh, people an idea of how long it takes to do this. When we were there at the CES in January, they already had part of the street in front of the uh, Bellagio blocked off because they were building the sets. So one of the mm. lanes on the strip was blocked off. Um, so it, it takes that long. It's a massive undertaking um, to be sure. But, you know, from a technological standpoint, it's cool. But you know what? It was a good game. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It ended very well um, in certain terms of competitiveness. It was a little slow at the beginning, but it, it got, got really great at the end. So uh, enjoyed that. Uh, good content, as we say, in our, our industry. So, yep. uh, um, well, so CES, you know, kind of getting back to the topic at hand was held January 9th through 12th. And uh, we, we did run your article, uh, CES 2024 Reflections and Superlatives back on the 22nd of January. So we, we covered the show pretty close to when it happened, but we're, we're about a month. We're exactly a month of the right. end of the show right now as we record, giving a little more time to settle in process uh, your experience, maybe check out other coverage from uh, your peers that were there. Um, but the thing is, like when you're observing this from a distance, as I did not having attended, uh, you're watching posts from your friends who are there, stuff that climbs to the surface um, for the mainstream media. And there's, there's always some story that pops up that you just know is not going to be relevant a year from now. This, I feel like this year's it was transparent TVs. Uh, well, some TV. of the things that aren't, you know, they had their big blast of publicity and then aren't relevant now a month later. Okay. And, and okay, so- you know, transparent TV, transparent TV is actually, and it's um, the big leader in that technology is LG. And they've actually had transparent TVs for quite a number of years. You see them on some of the refrigerators. You see them at retail applications. So it's not as though it's a new technology, but it's they've uh, to their credit, they've found a way to make it into a consumer application. It it looked good. Would I make it my my main TV? Probably not. It's a design thing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it. They'll sell a bunch of them, and in again in the market that that ResTech uh, serves, that our readers and podcast viewers uh, will look through. No pun intended. Um, you know, it's a conversation piece. Yeah. So just to understand better what these really are, um, they it looks like a piece of clear glass in a room until you turn it on, and then it has kind of a. Well, the, the LG or? folk actually did a good job of describing the way they configured it. It looked like an aquarium, hmm. and it was a you know a nice uh, sleek metal frame. And in fact, at one point they showed like remember the old fashioned uh, screensaver that was the aquarium, and it looked hmm. like that except you could see through it. So the screen is a transparent one. But then when you press a button, up comes a shade behind it so that instead Mm. of seeing through it, there's a black shade, if you will, behind it to give it a little bit more contrast and you're not distracted by anything behind it. The one thing that was cool is that when it was in the transparent mode, if you will, it did look 3D because you could see through it. You could see the image behind it. And uh, there's a part of LG, the the broader LG uh, 
company called LG Display. That's the division that actually makes the screens. For example, the screens that Samsung uses in their QD OLEDs are made by LG. They're the, you know, they're arch rivals, but LG makes the screen, LG Display makes the screens. LG mm. Electronics are the folks that you buy LG finished products from. In their separate private suite, which I, I visited, they had a number of displays of this technology, and a lot of it was in retail, so that they were showing um, a jewelry store. And imagine some of the gems on the screen, and then behind it is the actual item or shoe mm -hmm. stores. The best one, which uh, you know is sort of a laugh, um, they were promoting it uh, for transportation applications. So the window on your subway car, if it's not graffitied over, could show the route map. And mm. I, uh, for those of you who know LA, the um, big Korea Koreatown community is at the metro stop. Yes, we do have a subway, and I actually mm -hmm. ride it, called Wilshire and Western. And that was the part of the subway map that they were using as a demo. And I said to the PR lady who was giving us a tour, I said, you know, you've been in LA, do you Get, was that a joke that you had the Wilshire Western stop in a Korean company's suite? And she just didn't, she laughed, but she didn't realize it. So, I mean, there are a mm -hmm. lot of applications for it. Is it going to be a big seller in the home market? No. If you're a designer uh, installer type and you want something for a client that nobody else will have, that you want to be, I've got something that you don't have, this is it. Price unannounced. One other thing that needs to be added there is, um, you know, whatever one does, the other does. So Samsung had a transparent display also, but it was, to their own admission, still a science project, unannounced pricing, unannounced availability, and it was using a slightly different direct view LED technology than the OLED technology. But, you know, at least that was a, well, we can do it too kind of thing. It's cool. It has a place for some people. Uh, you're not going to see it in every living room. Is uh, is OLED still the, the best viewing experience for a direct view TV? Well, that's, you know, that's a toss-up. Uh, there clearly a lot of the uh, shootouts that you've, you've heard about, OLED certainly wins those. And, and they are really, really good. But the uh, backlit mini LEDs from not only the OLED people, but from uh, Samsung and LG and Hisense and TCL and Sony, they're really, really good. And it becomes a matter of personal preference. Which is better? Yes, you could do a scientific test and say, this one is better. But, you know, which speaker is better? There's a good analogy. There are lots of good speakers, and which one is best for you is the one that sounds best to you. I guess the question in terms of like um, the LED um, versus OLED, a lot of times it was about the the light, um, you know, being more direct directional in terms of you know that low light situation where you don't have the banding and things that go on. For, um, for sure, if you are putting a screen in a room with a lot of ambient light. You want an, an LED, I keep wanting to say LED or LCD, 
a mini LED lit set, and they look really, really good. If you want the purest, blackest contrast because of the way that OLED works, where each pixel is individually addressed, turn on and offable, mm -hmm. that's going to be a little bit better. But again, it's a question of what looks better to you and where is the set going to be? That's mm -hmm. the other that's the other thing that people have to remember. What room is it going to be in? What are the lighting conditions? And are you going to have on access or off access? So, you know, as again, as uh, the people who are listening to this, who are uh, many of whom are in the business of specifying systems, you know, they're well aware of it's the technology versus the application. So I'm going to sort of hedge a little bit on a which is better. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so we, we, we kind of hinted at worst uh, or biggest hype, that type of thing. And we, we hear about AI and everything now. Was there anything that was really AI or were they using AI as kind of a, of a marketing stunt? Well, the way, as I, I think I may have said in the article and as I've been saying to anybody who asked me about it, anybody remember digital ready speakers? There's nothing mm -hmm. about a speaker specific to being fed by a digital source. You want a good speaker. You want a speaker that's capable of reproducing everything, but there's no such thing as a digital-ready speaker. Remember HD-ready antennas? The antenna's really stupid. It doesn't know what it's looking at as long as it can see the signal and produce enough image to come down the line to, to you know, um, light up the TV. AI, to some extent, some of it is hype. AI can do some interesting things. It's it's still got a ways to go in the consumer electronics world. It's not like, hey, Jeremy, you know, this article I just sent you, I had ChatGPT write it. Well, I didn't. And in fact, one of the holes is I didn't write the article using ChatGPT, but I looked for some things using one of the AI assistants and because they're based on what's called the large language models, they're basically scrubbing the internet to find stuff. If I put in a query, uh, please, to your point, uh, please tell me the difference. Please write an article in the way that Mike Heiss would write it, comparing OLED to mini LED to direct view LED based on the sets that were on display at CES 2024. And the answer would come back, well, I don't know, because that stuff's not in the database yet. So it's yes. not foolproof. It's mm -hmm. definitely a thing. That's the most hype that you're going to see the most about. And ask me that question next year, and the answer will probably be different because it is doing a lot of things that need to be perfected. And the horsepower, the chip processing power needs to be refined so that it can be done on less horsepower in the chips. And I would imagine that the future for consumer products like TVs and audio technology would be helping to be more predictive to the user. And exactly. Having a, a TV you turn on and just knowing kind of your habits that you, instead of having to like Always well, not only not only that, but one of the applications for AI that was promoted by many of the manufacturers at CES is not so much Mike is watching it and Mike watches 
the news. And something happened today, and do I want to watch CNN, Fox, or MSNBC, or do I just not want to hear about it? That's kind of hard to do yet. But there was a lot of claimed application of AI to things like picture settings, and brightness, and contrast, and HDR, and sound. And those are things that AI is capable of doing, because in the TV set world for the past couple of years, and even more so this year, they're not just promoting our set uses this type of panel or screen technology, but at all the press conferences and all the booths on the show floor, they were talking about the power of the processor within the set, because that's what's going to drive all of these functions. Another thing which is allied to what you just said is the return, and I think the growing trend of the TV as the home hub, because you've got smart home and you've got IoT and you've got sensors and you've got all these things around the home, not just in the room where the TV is, of course, and using the big screen, literally and figuratively, as a control display. What's going on? Where's the baby cam? You know, oh my God, did I leave the stove on? Uh, my wife yells at me. I put a, I, sometimes I forget to close the garage door. So I'd not only put a camera on the outside of the house to see if anybody that is there that shouldn't be there, but I put a little cheap uh, webcam in the garage because if I go, oh my goodness, did I close the garage door? And I can punch it up on my phone and see that the garage door is closed. And that's the kind of thing that you'll be able to do on your main screen. So that is a big coming trend. It's been birthing for a while and it's just about at the gestation stage. A, a, li a very minor example of that in my home is I have a LG um, TV in my main uh, room and I have a, a very new LG washing machine and, and there it's on an app and the right. app always tells me when it's done uh, doing the wash cycle or has had a problem. Now the TV also does. It pops up on the, the, the screen and, while and we're watching. That is exactly the kind of thing. And again, because they're both appliances as well as consumer electronics manufacturers that Samsung and LG promoted extensively in their press conferences and in their booths. Now, you, you talk uh, while we're on the topic of video displays, you talk about just the larger screens and bigger is better generally as the message throughout the show. Yep. Uh, what, what is the it, it felt like for a bit there, 60 inch was kind of like the status quo, like, you know, 75 is the new 65, 85 is the new 75 and go on from there. And TCL uh, showed a 115, and Hisense showed a 100, and LG and Samsung and Sony all have sets in the high 90 range. So for all the publicity and the talk about people, did anybody, unless you were on a plane or you were at work or whatever, people didn't watch to the point of what we were saying earlier. You didn't watch the Super Bowl on on your phone no matter how big the screen was and maybe you watched it in the ipad but you wanted to watch the screen the super bowl on a big screen with your friends and family and the bigger the better you want that sense of immersion 
Yeah, absolutely. So big screens are in. You know, that led, leads to another point, which is, as I've said since the days, if anybody remembers the 103-inch Panasonic Plasma, they mm. bend in the middle once. Right, one time. One time. And that, and that's, well, except now that you have foldable and bendable, but that's a topic for another day. Um, right. Or roll up and roll down. But I mean, those are those are big things. And in fact, mm. there was a story back in those early days of that big Panasonic thing that Bill Gates had like 10 of them in this new house he was building. And you had to put holes in the wall to put them through. It's like the old New Yorker cartoon of a crane lifting the piano up to a, a New York City apartment on the 18th floor. Uh, they're becoming very popular. The prices are coming down. The technology is there. And it, it's clearly for an interesting segment of the market. But then, although uh, CES is not a big projector show, the only mm -hmm. 8K uh, projector that was there was from Samsung. They had a lifestyle projectors or projectors that you can blend together or roll up screens like AWOL is, is one of the companies that does that, where they're ultra short throw projectors where the screen goes down into the cabinet. And there was, again, not as much as you would see at a Cedia, but there was quite a bit of activity in the small size lifestyle projector, plop it on the table, use it, plop it away, you know, or put something over it, that that's still a very viable and some might even say growing category. Yeah, that, that little portable projector category, I feel like um, is it's trying to connect the the generations in a way, right? It's uh, branching out to those yep. folk, to those kids like mine who do watch a lot of stuff on their phones just in general. Um, they will sit down and watch a big screen for, for an event like the Super Bowl, um, just because of Taylor Swift, by the way. But um, <laughs> they, they uh, you know, like like half of America, I guess. Um, but then there there's that need, you know, at times like they're in their room and they do want to watch a, a movie and I have a little portable projector and it's kind of cool just to like show it on the wall and have exactly. something a little larger. Um, I think that's where that fits in. But, uh, you know, the ultra short throw is, it, 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 I it, I feel like that's got, um, you know, staying power that I didn't expect uh, as a as a large. Oh, very screen. much so. We saw a lot of it at Cedia and you saw enough of it at CES to validate the fact that it's a viable uh, category. Nick, can I uh, talk about two other TV-related things? Yeah. Um, one is called Displace which they showed last year, but they're just about ready to uh, ship it now. And it's a 55-inch uh, set that literally suction cups itself to the wall so that you don't. we don't need no stinking wall mounts, although you mm. can get it with a stand. And it's battery-powered, it is wireless, and it's just an interesting sort of application and now this year they came out with a 27-inch one and they showed its suction cup to your refrigerator. And that oh, okay. was sort of a very interesting, uh, very, very interesting concept. And the other thing, which was in a suite because it's not sold through dealers, remember CES is not a public show, it's a dealer show, is a company called Telly, T-E-L-L-Y, mm -hmm. which is giving you a free TV set. 
Why is it free? How is it free? It's got a main screen. It's got a nice Harman Kardon design sound bar in the middle. And then below it, there's another screen that about two-thirds of it runs sports scores, financial ticker, weather, news. And then over on the far right side are ads. And they're playing you ads, and that's how they are able to pay for a TV set that you get for free. And I saw it for the first time at CES. It's very, very interesting. Whether it ultimately succeed or not, hard to tell. They claim they're going to get 500,000 of them out this year. We'll see. I have not gotten one yet. And as soon as I have it, you'll read about it in ResTech because uh, that's high on my list of things to review. Uh, but really, it's an interesting I, I, concept. Yeah, I want to dig into Telly a little bit because you have covered it quite a bit for us. And I, 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 I think I had a passing thought as I was driving the other night. I'm like, what? The one thing I don't think about, and I and I live in a suburban, you know, fairly, you know, I guess I don't want to say affluent, but just like, you know, I, I know there are parts of the country that are, are struggling and suffering, and um, it, it would the idea of a free TV would would be appealing. But I also think of how affordable TVs are relative to the days when they weren't, you know. Um, you can go pick up a, a very inexpensive TV. Now, maybe the quality won't be as much as what we're used to in our channel, but where, where do you see the, the market for this? Is it that just struggling where, you know, give them a chance and they're willing to put up with the ads part of it or? Well, it's, it's very well designed. If anybody in, in, in the next article uh, that will show in, in ResTech uh, that I wrote about streaming that, there's a thing called AVOD, which is the advertiser-supported video. And one of the initial firms that did that was Pluto, which is owned now by Paramount Global. And there was a lot of uh, you know, promotion of that as well uh, during the Super Bowl. And the fellow that founded Pluto and sold it for a lot of money is now... Um, is now using his money and he's one of the main founders and investors in telly. You're right. You can go online or to retail and buy a 55 inch TV for a couple hundred bucks for Super Bowl. You could have, you know, bought them very, very reasonably priced. But the question is, do you want something at a certain quality level? But more importantly, if a Peloton a streaming device and a TV set and a sound bar had a love child, it would be telly because okay. it does all of those things. It has an IR sensor so you can do all the gestures and motion tracking so you can do the Peloton-esque yoga or uh, riding an exercise bike or whatever your form of in-home uh, exercises, and it will track your motion as would a lot of other more complex devices. Um, if you, the demo they were showing, they had a basketball game and they showed the Golden State Warriors and then on the big screen, and it knew that you were watching a Golden State Warriors game. So underneath it said, would you like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson merch? And then you could 
press a button and buy it, or it'll give you a QR code, or it'll say, do you want the shoes or do you want the jersey? Do you want a jersey or do you want a game-worn signed jersey? And there are people to whom that is attractive. But, you know, rather than take a lot of time on that now, um, I, I am hopeful to get one sooner than later. And everybody who is watching and listening to this will know all about it when I get it. Now, just backing up to displace again, the suction cup TV. Uh, I watched the demo when they first introduced their With the larger model last year. Yeah, and it was like a science project. It was crazy, uh, like because people were you know freaked out about the fact that it might pop off the TV, so they had all the safety stuff added in. The idea of making a smaller one and and going with a more, um, I guess, cool. commercial application there. I don't know that that maybe is a better play for that. Uh, do you think that's a, a, a shift in focus? Well, it's hard to tell because in the era of big TV, yes, there are certainly still 21, 24, 27, 32-inch sets. You just don't see that much about them. I've got one in the kitchen. I've got one here on the other side of the office. A lot of people are using them as computer monitors. And that might be kind of a sweet spot and the ability to just literally pop it on the wall as if it were held by Velcro with some assurance that it's not going to fall off. It's an interesting concept, as is Telly. And I put both of those in the category of it'll be interesting to see what kind of market traction they get. Now, you mentioned CTV in your coverage. Um, and and we, we talk about that in a streaming article you've got coming out. So, um, maybe explain what that what that means, what that encompasses. Sure. CTV is the industry lingo for connected television. And early, 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 remember that Roku started out as a way to get Netflix into TV sets. And it was a, it, you could have called it a Netflix box, and people did. And the market expanded to, ooh, I can plug this little thing that I buy for anywhere from, depending upon brand and model, uh, say $29.99 to $149.99. Plug it into your TV and you get all the content you want, more than you could ever want from all of these growing streaming services, which grew up in parallel with the technology. Then the TV set manufacturers said, we don't need no stinking external box. We're going to build that technology into this set, hence smart TV now or connected TV. Now, the trick question is, if you were to ask your neighbor, heard of Roku? Oh, yeah, yeah, heard of Roku. What business are they in? Okay, Jeremy, you probably know the answer because you read the article. Yeah, edited the article I wrote. But what business is Roku in? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's supplying. And uh, it's not devices. Yeah, it, it's it's internal now. It's part of the TV. Well, but they're, it's they're, ad sales and, they're, and, they're, and their own their own TVs. And, and it's ad sales. So ad sales. Okay, gotcha. LG, Vizio, Samsung, TiVo are all in the business of creating content and monetizing it, and that's where the money is. Roku, you can look them up. They're a public company. Makes their money from ad sales not just in their own channel, but without getting into the complications time doesn't permit today, but inserting ads into other 
person's other company's streams. That's where the money is. TVs are a frightfully terrible business to be in. This is a way to monetize it. So that is a big growing business. And that's why there isn't as much action as there used to be in the um, connected devices because the emphasis is on CTV. Got it. Okay. So it's about the the revenue and uh, kind of going back in time to the broadcast model of having commercials and things, but at having the vehicle to get it inserted into that stream. And to do it on a per, but the advantage is since everything is obviously broadband connected to personalize. And if you mm. go back for a minute to what we were talking about with Telly, it knew that I would be watching a Lakers game. Do I want LeBron merch or do I want Anthony Davis merch? And knowing the preferences now, clearly there are some concerns about privacy that are attached to that, which is another interesting aspect of the whole connected TV and streaming TV market. There are clearly people with, some might say, very valid privacy concerns. I don't really care if people know that I like this player or that player, Um, but the whole economics of that side of the business uh, are, are really in a state of turmoil right now. Again, Mm -hmm. a a subject for another day. Okay. Now, I guess we could go either the audio direction, the lack of audio at CES, uh, or the Wi-Fi 7, which is kind of connected to how everything kind of ties together. What what, what do you want to go that that, That's actually kind of an easy way, uh, an easy uh, question. Wi-Fi 7 is here. And last year, it was kind of sort of here. This year, it is here. You will see it in laptops. You'll see it in access points. There is a Wi-Fi 7 version of Eero and TP-Link and a number of the other major uh, providers of Wi-Fi products, both in the residential uh, consumer DIY, as well as in the more professionally uh, CEDIA if you will, market people, that you will see it needs the all the products being in place. You need a Wi-Fi, a Wi-Fi 7 phone. You need a Wi-Fi 7 laptop. You need a Wi-Fi 7 access point. You need a Wi-Fi 7 built into your CTV. When you get the critical mass, then the one other thing you need is high-speed broadband. If I only have 100 or 300 megabit uh, downs, download speed, I don't need no stinking Wi-Fi 7. But as broadband speeds increase and you get into gig speeds and you have all these devices and you need the ability to communicate simultaneously, not only with more devices in a home, but more broadband-centric devices then you need all of this data going back and forth. And when we have this, hopefully, conversation next year, Wi-Fi 7 will be everywhere. The Maybe the takeaway from CES is it is here. And if okay. you want to be future-proof, do you need it today? Maybe not. But do you want to be future-proof? You betcha. Um, that's Wi-Fi 7. 
what was the other item? So, so just the lack of, or the dearth of AVRs and audio products. Oh, the lack so, of AVRs. As we saw at Cedia, AVRs are still there. But the AVR market, at least now I don't have the access to the uh, sales figures the way I used to back in the day. But the AVR market has moved more upscale. And just like, you know, the old song, Video Killed the Radio Star, Soundbar killed the lower cost AVR. They're still there. But anybody who in an earlier day would have bought a $400 or $600 AVR is going to buy a Soundbar or is going to buy a soundbar with wireless speakers or, or up-firing speakers for Atmos. So the action in AVRs was more at Cedia, where you saw the eleven thirteen hundred dollars $1,300 all the way up to $5,000, $6,000 AVR uh, as a very, not big in terms of the dynamics of the broader market, but within our world, a very big part of the market I am, as an old processor guy, I'm amazed at the number of higher-end installations at the CD Awards where the audio control was an AVR. You'd never have seen that a couple of years ago. And in fact, I was having a discussion with a, a colleague just earlier this morning about AVRs are sort of inching up to where they're now, they're not going to compete with a Trinov or a Storm Audio or something in, in that level. That's where processors have moved up to. The AVR is just sort of changing what it is and where it's playing. There wasn't the audio that we used to see either on the floor or in the top three, four, five floors of the Venetian at CES. That stuff has either gone to regional uh, audio hi-fi shows or to Cedia. Right. Now, I guess kind of kicking it back to to the to video, the broadcast side of it, um, you mentioned ATSC now yep. above 75%. Um, so maybe dive into to that side of the, the business uh, away from, you know, the, the stream coming from a, uh, you know, internet sort of right. connection on the one hand well it's not it's not coming from an internet connection and that's one of the things that they well have that's what to, i mean yeah the opposite of that it's uh, right but that's air. but you see but that's and it's interesting that you you went in that direction because when you think of more complex or better video one's mind would go to an internet uh connective based product and the whole point of atsc 3.0 or i'll get slapped by my friends there it's next gen TV is that you're getting high quality over the air that I mentioned free TV. When Mm -hmm. I was watching the Super Bowl, uh, as I was moving back and forth between different TV sets uh, on Sunday, I watched it on the local CBS affiliate here in LA on next gen TV, because I have a next gen TV box, which we'll also be reviewing soon. And it gives you a better picture and it gives you, the future of more technologies. Everybody talks about 4K over the air for free. Not It's possible nobody's doing it yet. There mm. are some stations and broadcast groups doing HDR on ATSC 3.0. You can't do that with standard over the air TV. And it's worth noting, 
again, we're going back to streaming, is now that Amazon is doing Prime Video with ads. And if you don't want the ads, you pay an extra $3 a month. What's just now being revealed is that if you don't pay the extra $3 a month, not only do you have ads, but you don't get Atmos and Dolby Vision. Hmm. You have to pay the $3 extra a month if you want HDR. Next-gen TV will give the broadcasters the ability to put HDR over the air for free, along with a number of other things. Or one of the things, again, that I use uh, here in LA, uh, two of the stations that are uh, broadcasting in next-gen are normally 720p. But with the next-gen channels, it's 1080p. Okay. So there is there are features that are beginning to come into that market. And now that it's at the tipping point, Chicago, the big thing now is they just turned on Chicago. So virtually all of the major markets, uh, Dallas, Houston, New York, Chicago, LA, Washington, D.C., all have next-gen. There is a little bit of a hiccup due to the... Uh, patent rights that LG, who actually owns a lot of the patents that go into this, have not put ATSC 3.0 in their 2024 TV sets. They've taken it out uh, because they didn't want to pay the royalties. But if you have the vast majority of the population that hasn't bought a TV set in the last two or three years, oh, TCL, though, announced at CES that they're going to add ATSC 3.0 some models. But there are a series of boxes. I just got a press release today of another one uh, that just came out from anywhere from 79 to now 149 and one with built-in DVR from a company called Zapperbox that is 249 I believe. So it's not going to be the $40 with a coupon things that we had during the initial digital transition. You'll have to buy the box, but they are available. And it'll be interesting to see if that's one of the things everybody's talking about, the the um, death of broadcast TV. Uh, did I mention that 135 million people watched the Super Bowl on Sunday? I haven't seen the stats of how many watched it over the air, how many watched it streaming. But sports is... One of the things is keeping broadcast television alive and HDR and uh, immersive sound are one of the things that will help drive that through uh, Next Gen TV. Stand by for more news in ResTech today. That's right. we got that article coming up. And uh, I guess even though we don't typically cover cars, let's wrap up with, with that oh, one. Do we have to? I'm going to go back to the way you opened this podcast <laughs> overhype things at CES. Uh huh. Sony showed their car for the third year. They've actually announced that they're going to be taking orders and they'll deliver it maybe late 2025. Maybe. Why is Sony making a car? I, I still don't because understand. Because they can. Okay. Because it's a technology demonstration. Now, I don't think mm -hmm. there'll be ads in it, but it's a. One of the biggest parts is the same sort of little quiz. What is one of the biggest business units in Sony? Take a guess, Jeremy. Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot again. I didn't come prepared. Uh, one of the biggest business units in Sony. Um, and most profitable. 
and it ain't them TVs, I can tell you that. It's not the music business. Uh, sensors. Sensors. And camera chips. If okay. you look at any modern car, you'll find a couple dozen sensors and cameras. You see those ads for the pickup trucks, you know, with the 13 view, you can see sure. what's around you. So it's a demonstration piece. And to be fair, Sony is building that through a joint venture with Honda Mobility. And by the way, Honda announced EVs. Now, the ones that they showed were really wacko way out designs that could never meet the federal requirements. But it shows that they're going to do it. And there were a lot of other uh, brand names with electric cars that you didn't hear, that you wouldn't have normally heard about, VinFast, which is a Vietnamese company. They were there. There were a bunch of other uh, electric vehicles. So cars were there, but all the hype about the... Why was there a lot of hype about it? Because it was Sony. Um, One more trick question. What's the one product that Sony didn't show in their booth at CES for the last two years? That everybody TVs. would associate with TVs. I'm sorry. Well, with with Sony, I had some questions. Yeah, TVs. Yeah, and there no was TVs. a lot of bitching and moaning and griping. We're TVs. Yeah, because that's you know they're going to do there, and you're going to get invited. And if you don't want to go, uh, I know one of your contributing editors that can go. Um, <laughs> when Sony announces their new TVs, probably uh, in March, it's a different market approach, differently, and. Sony is not just a TV company, which is what everybody associated them with for many, many years. Um, the world and the market is changing, and that's why they showcase the car. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense with the sensors. You know, when you think about Tesla and all the autonomous esque vehicles, you know, yep. where you need to have everything covered. So. Uh, that makes sense that they would be using. Where did technology. we do without backup cams? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's definitely become a common thing, and you've got uh, uh, you know the the name consumer technology kind of broadens out what that show. Uh, you know, consumer that's one of the reasons show. why they changed it uh, from CEA to CTA. Right. Right. So it makes sense that they that's part of what they cover, and those are electronic. Cars too. They're not gas engines, so uh, they kind of fit. But, but it was uh, a little. Oh, I, I I have to say, to my opinion, it was a little overhyped in the broad mm-hmm. press coverage. Ooh, look at the Sony car. Right. Ooh, look at the Honda car. Their press conference was packed. Wow. People love their cars. Well, hey, you know, Michael, this has been fun as usual. And I, I I, I'm so less worn out by hearing you tell about it than <laughs> if I were there in person trying to learn and go to, from hall to hall finding these things that I go, what, what the, what, what's the hype about? I don't get this. <laughs> Just um, next so, year, remind me to wear a damn mask. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, it, it, it's just, it's the, it's the way life is now, isn't it? Unfortunately. Well, I got, my, my, I got my booster shot uh, a couple weeks before I went when I called my doctor after I came back and found that I did have COVID. And he said, you took the shot and that's why 
you know, you'll get over it in a week, which, which I did. Yeah. But yeah, um, absolutely. I had the same experience. I went to my, my daughter's uh, holiday concerts. I went like five nights in a row surrounded by a lot of humans breathing on me and yep. I had had my booster too. And, and it, and it was a, a less, I, it was the first time I've ever, ever gotten it. And it was right. not what I would imagine being more than a bad cold, you know, kind of situation because I had been, you know, boosted, I guess. So, um, that I'm, you know, I'm so young and fit. So, um, unlike me, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm old and not fit. <laughs> I'm kind of fit, but I'm getting <laughs> older. So, um, Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate your Thanks, time. Jeremy. It's been great talking to you. Michael Thanks. Heiss is a CDA Fellow and Lifetime Achievement Award recipient as, as well as a contributing editor to Residential Tech Today. And that wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Please check out prettyeasypodcast.com if you want professional and affordable production help on your own podcast. And if you need a residential tech talks, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you watched or listened to this episode. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at our magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Thursday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential, residential tech talks, lighting specialist, to residential tech talks.